And the reason why I love to tell the story about me getting laid off is that hopefully you won't have to, that you, whoever's listening to this, can realize that there are other ways to provide for yourself. And if you can, even if you wanted to keep your job, like my goal was to quit my job, but that's not everybody's goal. But your goal should be to become financially independent. If you love to work, go to work. That's totally fine. But if something did happen, you're able to take care of yourself and your family without relying on that. So what I suggest is if you have like in a great job and everything's going fine, that is terrific. I would suggest that you also look to realize that it's almost a 100% possibility that you will lose your job. And what would you do if that happened? You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, welcome back to Ice Cream with Investors. I'm your host, Matt Four, and today we have on Dustin Heiner. Dustin is the founder of the Master Passive Income and Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference. Most importantly, he is successfully unemployed. He is a real estate rental property investor who is able to make enough passive income from his business to quit his job at 37. With his podcast, YouTube channel, books, courses, coaching, he now helps others quit their job by investing in real estate property to live their dream. I'm just going to stop there and say, Dustin, welcome to the show. Hey, Matt. Thank you so much for having me on, man. I really appreciate you having me on. I just love talking about real estate and really what it comes down to is like what real estate affords me to do in my life, how I can not work a job, go to the gym and hang out with my family, and then come on podcasts and talk to great people like you. So thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. And pick that guitar back up, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we like to start with the difficult questions here. What's your favorite ice cream? Vanilla by far. Like I just, well, vanilla bean. I really love just the flavor of vanilla. And I know it's very plain, but man, it's just something like it wakes me up. Like it makes my mouth just be really happy. And I'm like, it's anytime. But what's also really funny is I love chocolate too, but I don't love chocolate ice cream. It's too like, it's too much, but I love like milk chocolate, like, you know, candy, milk chocolate candy is great. But yes, vanilla ice cream. Okay. Well, toppings or no toppings? Toppings are great. I don't mind toppings. In fact, if you, oh yeah, if you put like fudge, like hot fudge on top mm. of it, that's just, yeah, th- then I'm in heaven. <laughs> are, are you talking like McDonald's hot fudge or do you have a special place out in California that you like to go to? Yeah, I don't really have anything specific other than like if it feels not like the uh, Hershey syrup's okay, but like if it's where they actually have to heat it up in order to yep. put it on. I love that. Yeah, I had some Chick-fil-A vanilla ice cream cone last night. So uh, I'm I'm into this. Well, tell our listeners, what's the scoop? What do you do today? Yeah, so I'm an investor. So I invest in real estate. I love residential, so four units and below, where I buy them and then I hold them long-term and I rent them out. And so I was doing that back in 2006. And then today, now I still am an investor, but I have so many people that wanted to learn how to do it. So from there, I created Master Passive Income. That's where I coach people, show people how to invest in real estate. I have my podcast, YouTube channel, like I said, coaching and courses and books and all that great stuff because I just really wanted to give all this great, uh, basically knowledge that I've accumulated to other people because I found the more people that I serve, the better my life gets. And so, yeah, that's what I love to do now is really just share that real estate investing can literally change your life where you can become financially independent. 100%. Well, tell us, where did your real estate journey begin? Yeah. So yeah, quickly, like you said, in the jump to the end, but then I'll go back to the beginning. 
So when I was 37 years old, I was blessed to be able to quit my job because I had enough rental properties, long-term rental properties that basically made me money without working. So I'll quickly go back to the beginning. So when I was young, growing up, and we're, I was following the plan that we're all taught this plan. Basically, you go to school, you get good grades, and then you take those good grades, you go to college, you get in thousands and thousands of dollars into debt, and you get good grades again, and then you get a degree, a piece of paper that they give you, and you go around, you try to get a job at a company, and hopefully eventually get a career. Then work in that career for 40 plus years, retire when you're 65 years old or older, and hopefully retire on the money that you managed to save that entire time that you're working. So I'm following that career path. At the same time, I've always been entrepreneurial as well, you know, starting businesses, that type of mindset. And so in starting businesses, I realized that I liked to uh, just, you know, start a business. So when I was 13 years old, my first ones was I had a newspaper route that were, you know, you ride around on your bike with newspaper bags and you have newspapers in there and throw all the newspapers at 5 a.m. and banging garage doors, waking people up. Then I've also had a graphic and website design company. I've also had a skateboard manufacturing business, a convenience store, pizzeria, all started from the ground up. But at the same time, they weren't terrific enough to where I you know, didn't have to work. I still had to make money for my family. So I also bought one rental property, bought one rental property and realized I need to be an investor. Like, my goodness, I bought one rental property. It makes me money without working. I need to do that over and over again. But like everything happens to everybody life gets in the way. So I was working a regular county job or IT job working in a local county government in California. And in working that job, my wife started having uh, you know, children. We started having children. Eventually, we had our fourth child. And I got to tell you the story. So this is a story of what really pushed me into where I must be an investor. So we had our fourth child. And as soon as my fourth child was born, I went on paternity leave from my technology job. That's where the dad stays home with the mom, changes poopy diapers and, you know, bonds with the baby and all that good stuff. And so I'm at home. And then about two weeks later, I go back to work. And that week that I get back to work on a Friday at 3.30 in the afternoon, I get a call from my boss's 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 secretary, like the, the top dog. And she says, Dustin, would you please come to the office? And I said, sure. And I hung up the phone and I thought for a second, I paused and I thought, my goodness, why are they calling me to the office? Like, this isn't normal. And I've seen plenty of movies. This is 4.30 or 3.30 on a Friday. Like, this isn't normal. This is not a good sign. And then I also remembered a couple months before I went on paternity leave, there were some rumors or some rumblings going on that there could potentially be layoffs because the department was running low on funds. And I immediately shook that off. I said, there's no way. I've got plenty of seniority here. I've been working here in my uh, plenty of long time. And my bosses think I do a great job. I get raises and everything. So I shook it off. Then I get up and I walk down the hallway to my boss's office. Now, this hallway isn't very long, Matt. It's actually, it's kind of short, but every single step that I take, it feels like the hallway gets longer and longer and longer. And it feels like my feet become lead bricks because the weight of everything that I could potentially lose my job is starting to weigh down on me, start to realize that. Now I get down the hallway and I turn the corner. I see my boss's door, his doors closed. And I see a secretary there, super sweet, nice old lady. And she's looking at me, grinning, you know, sheepishly grinning, kind of trying to console me with her eyes. And she says, Dustin, would you please have a seat? Because she knows everything about what's going on. I know nothing about what's going on. So I go and I take my seat and I sit down and I sit there and I start to think about, oh my goodness, this could potentially be the time that I lose my job. And if I lose my job right now, does that make my entire life of 
everything, that whole plan we just talked about, where you go to school, get good grades, and eventually get a career and eventually retire. Did I just waste my life going through this path? And then thought, oh my goodness, if I don't have the ability to make money to feed my family, my fourth child was just born. What does that make me a, as a father? Does that make me a failure as a father? Does that make me a failure as a husband, as a man trying to provide for his family? Well, as I'm sitting there, the weight of everything is just crushing down on me. My hands get all clammy. My forehead gets all sweaty because I am realizing that this could potentially be the time. Well, the door to my boss's office opens up and out walks a lady, a coworker of mine, with a piece of paper in her hands. She is noticeably distraught, noticeably upset. She's not necessarily crying, but you could tell her world has just been devastated. She passes by me and my boss says, Dustin, would you please come in the office? So I get up and I go into his office and I get laid off. And remember, this is the government. Nobody gets fired or laid off from the government, but I did. And the reason why I tell the story is because after that, I realized two things. Now I walk back to my desk and I realized two things as I'm sitting there, just got laid off. I realized two things. So the first thing is I need to get another job. I need to be able to provide for my family. So I was really, really blessed. Praise the Lord to be able to find another job in the same county, whole another department. They weren't having that money issue. So I was blessed to transfer over there. Check, got that one done. The second thing, while I'm sitting in that chair, this is the reason why I tell the story, is that I need to make sure that this never, ever happens to me again. I need to make sure that nobody has the ability to take away my ability to feed my family. So right then and there, I realized that from now on, I'm going to now tell everybody that I am an investor. So we all get that question. Hey, what do you do? They say, hey, Dustin, what do you do? I would always say, oh, I do IT work for the county and basically project my value as being that I put on myself as in my job. No, my value doesn't come from my job. My value comes from my God, from myself and from my family. From that point forward, I realized I need to tell everybody that I am an investor. It may so happen that 100% of my money comes from my job. That's now my part-time job. I'm a full-time investor. Like my value doesn't come from my job. And everybody needs to realize this. Your value doesn't come from your job. And you'll also know this for sure. Your boss is not paying you enough for what you're worth. If you're getting paid for what you're worth, they'd go broke. And this is how you'll know this. So your boss is paying you just enough to keep you working without quitting, but not so much money that takes money out of their pocket. So if you got paid for what, what you're worth, they would go out of business. Now, I'll fast forward the story. I started working for this new department, great boss and all, great job and all, started buying property after property after property, each one making me $250 or more in passive income. Eventually, I had 30 plus properties and I realized, oh my goodness, even though I'm making $75,000 a year here, I'm losing money working here. So I round out the story by saying, I went to my new boss, great boss and all. I said, hey, boss, here's your layoff notice. Like, here's your two weeks notice, you know, in a joking way. And he said, Dustin, what are you going to do? I said, I don't have to do anything. I literally own real estate that makes me money without working. So the last part of the story is, if you remember that short hallway that I walked down to get laid off, well, I walked from my job the very last time. It's in downtown. I'm parked a mile and a half away because I'm too frugal to pay for parking. So I walked to my car the very, very last time. And I felt like I was walking on clouds because I knew I would never, ever need a job again. And I was now being paid for what I'm worth, the value that I bring to something as opposed to getting working one hour and getting paid for that one hour. Now I work one time and get paid over and over and over again and top all that off. This is generational wealth that I am creating. I will literally give these properties to my kids. Like you can't give your job 
to your kids, but you can give your real estate to your kids. One of the questions that I first have is, how many rentals did you own when you were laid off from that first job? I want to say I had one, maybe two, one or two rentals. How much were they producing? Were they each around the $250 mark? No, the first one, I literally remember, I want to say it was like $317 was that first check that I got. I was like, wow, this is amazing. You know, it kind of fluctuated up and down with expenses, but usually it was around $300 to $400 per property. And this was back in 2006, 2007, 2008, when I first really started investing. I think it was 2006 when I first started investing, 2008 when I got laid off or something like that. Yeah. What would you have done if you didn't have those? So I have this theory, like you saw the red, you took the red pill, basically, right? You saw the other side of it. And one of the most impactful things you could do is receive some kind of passive income from a work that has been done prior and continue to get paid for it because it changes your mind on how you view things. What do you think you would have done if you didn't have those rentals? Beyond get a job at the other account, at the other department. Yeah, yeah. No, I always wanted, like my goal was to not work for somebody else, to be successfully unemployed. I love that term because I just found a new way, another way to provide for my family without working for somebody else. So I was always under the business mindset. Remember, I've always been entrepreneurial. So I've always tried to create businesses that would eventually get me out of working for somebody else. But then I realized every business that I created, it was trading one boss. You know, when you have a job, you have one boss. But if you create a business that you have customers, like I'll give you my convenience store that I had, all of my customers were basically little tiny bosses. And if they didn't come in and give me money to buy uh, products that I had, I would not make money. And then after about a year and a half of running that business, because I had employees that were running it because I still had my job at the same time, I really wanted it to be a good business where I could just, you know, keep, you know, build another store, do another store and eventually have passive income because other people were working. I realized that I was trading my time, which was okay, but I had a lot of little bosses. So getting to your question of what would I do instead, when I realized that even though I was creating businesses, those businesses took a lot of effort from me, from myself to please these other little bosses. So knowing now what I have now, passive income is by far, and that's why I created Master Passive Income, because when I buy one rental property, it is literally, I think, mastering passive income because a lot of people have heard of the book, The 4-Hour Work Week. Well, I think working four hours a week is for suckers. I don't want to work four hours a week. I don't want to work four hours a month. I maybe work 30 minutes a month on all my businesses and then just put it away, go back to work. Now, passive income, I don't know what exactly what I would do, meaning like would I have you know, been an author writing more books? Would I have started a podcast? Because I don't know if I would have because it was because I had real estate. And people wanted to learn how I do real estate that I started the podcast. Now, fast forward now, what I love is there are so many different ways to do passive income. Real estate's just one of many great ways. So I would say I would definitely shoot for passive income. In fact, that's what I'm teaching my kids now. Let's work for passive income instead of active income. Yeah, and I'm gonna steal something from Gary Vee. There's no such thing as passive income. You do have to work now to get residual income, but passive income is when you work one hour and get paid multiple times for that hour versus trading one for one. I would agree with that. But I would also say if I did, if and when, because I did, I worked hard to get these properties. Don't get me wrong. I I worked to get these properties, but now they can continue to work for me. When I give these properties, my kids, they didn't work for that. I have a business already set up. Now it's literally passive for them, but I completely get it. We work, but we want to get paid over and over again, rather than getting paid one time for working that one hour. 
Yeah. And all this, the reason why I'm going down this question line is because I was having good, a conversation with a good friend the other day that talked about how we as an individual, specifically men, put so much value in what we do. And how we define ourselves is I do this. I am a software person for this. I'm an IT person for that. And so you were able to kind of shift that to saying, no, I do this, but I'm also this. So you can't classify me for the job that I do. As we're going through 2022 here in the back half of 2022, you're starting to see a lot of layoffs in the economy, specifically in the IT segment. I know here in Nashville, there was a big IT company that just announced 750 people laid off out of their 4,000. How would you recommend somebody that might find themselves in that position make that mindset shift that they're not only the job they do? Wow. So I love the, I guess it's a proverb, or it's a quote, but a proverb that a smart man learns from his own mistakes, but a wise man learns from other people's mistakes. And so it took me, because I've heard that, there's another saying that says, it's not if you lose your job or get fired, but it's not if you lose your job, it's when, because it will happen. You know, I was young and naive. Oh, no, I'm a hard worker. I should be fine. So a couple of those two together, it took me literally getting laid off for me to wake up and realize that. And the reason why I love to tell the story about me getting laid off is that hopefully you won't have to, that you, whoever's listening to this can realize that there are other ways to provide for yourself. And if you wanted to keep your job, like my goal was to quit my job, but that's not everybody's goal. But your goal should be to become financially independent where you if you love to work, go to work. That's totally fine. But if something did happen, you're able to take care of yourself and your family without relying on that. So what I suggest is if you have like you're in a great job and everything's going fine, that is terrific. I would suggest that you also look to realize that it's almost a 100% possibility that you will lose your job. And what would you do if that happened? Hopefully you would have something that's that's already bringing in income that you can just scale up or work harder. And let's say you you buy things and you sell them on eBay and you make money doing that. Maybe you could scale it up doing that. I have some friends. They literally found a chair. They were on a walk and in Orlando, Florida. They found a chair and they said, hey, that chair is really nice. They fixed it up. They flipped it. I want to say they make a couple thousand dollars on it, selling it through eBay. And there they have then since turned that inventory, you know, think of like money and inventory bought more than did sold that then bought more. Eventually they had $150,000 to buy their first investment property and started from that one chair. So what I like to do is like to say, I want to make sure that I have routes or avenues, ways to make money outside of working for somebody else. Yeah, it's funny you said that about the chair. And back after 2020, I got a little bored with my time. It's getting a little bit colder here in Nashville, so I couldn't go on my 20-mile walks that I was doing to kind of break up the monotony. No, I just like I just would go on walks every day. And I started flipping furniture. And man, in like 45 days, I made five grand. And I'm like, holy smokes, like there's some real good value you can provide here. But no, I like what you were talking about. Learn from the experience of others and don't wait for that experience. Like you've had an experience in your career that led you to real estate. I had an experience in my career that was pretty similar in terms of me not getting a commission check that I was supposed to get that led me down the real estate path. So I would say it's okay if you love what you do to keep doing what you're doing in your W-2. In fact, I would encourage people if that's what they find the most intentionality in their life to go do. But don't wait for this time of uncertainty. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time is now. Start planting that seeds for relieving this idea of needing income to be on, on this earth. Absolutely. I love that quote. In fact, I remember that quote. I heard it back in, I want to say 2005, 2006 of planting a tree. 
that just like that woke me up too, because I realized when that time I heard it, I was thinking about investing. And actually, when I heard it, it was a guy that does stocks, which I'm horrible at stocks. I've tried it. I buy high and sell low every <laughs> single time. That's what you don't want to do. So I realized, stop playing stocks. You're, you're just you're not good at it. You're just going to lose it. So, but what I did hear was that you want to plant a tree today, even though it should have been last 20 years ago. What you don't want to be is 20 years from now thinking, oh man, I was listening to Matt's show. He talks about real estate investing and I should have done it then. That's not what you want. You want to make that to where it's implemented right now. Say, I'm not going to wait because life goes by so fast. That's it. That's it. Man, you are a key to buying high and selling low. You must be doing great in this today's stock market. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to switch us now to a little bit more of a tactical question. You teach your investors on how they can go acquire their first residential real estate kind of scale that portfolio. In one of those, you talk about building the businesses first. Can you talk to us a little bit about what does that mean, building the business first? Yeah, absolutely. And so if there was one bit of advice that I wish I would have known before I started investing, it's not passive income, it's building the business first. Because I was told by gurus, you know, the quote unquote gurus. And I remember I started back in 2006. So I went to the one of those infomercials, like infomercial at 1am. Hey, we're coming to your town. We'll give you a, you know, a seminar you should get for free. So I ran to that. I did. And it was all a sales pitch. At the very end, they said, okay, now run to the back and go give us thousands of dollars. Fast forward the story. I followed everything that they told me to do. After I spending thousands of dollars with them, they said, and this is the wrong way to do it. I'll quickly share it with you. But then I would get to the build the business, the right way to do it. So the wrong way, this is what the quote unquote gurus will tell you. You find a property anywhere in the country. Then you run the numbers, which means you make a little bit of money in passive income. You calculate your expenses, make sure you're making a little bit of money, like $50 in passive income, but you'll get appreciation. They tell you that, which I'll pause that by saying, I don't invest in appreciation. Remember, I'm going to give these properties to my kids. I have four kids. I'm literally going to give it to them. Now, they'll say, run the numbers, make sure you make a little, money, little bit of money in passive income. Then you spend thousands of dollars to buy the property. Then you spend thousands of dollars to fix up the property. And then you find somebody to rent it out, a tenant. And then you find a property manager to manage the property. Well, in my opinion, that's just about backwards. What we do here at Master Passive Income is we build the business first. And how I got to this was I did everything that those gurus said, that wrong way I just shared with you. Hopefully you forget every bit of that. What I did was I did that and my property manager started stealing from me within six months. It was horrible because I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't build the business. I didn't have anybody else. I just got a property manager and a realtor and put them together and bought a property and thought I had a business or thought I had an investment. Bad thing. So what happens now, if somebody follows this path, and I'll quickly give you all in just a second, I'll give you the path to actually building the business. What happens is if you follow that path, you might call around. This happens to a lot of people and a lot of, a lot of people that students that I help, they say, hey, Dustin, you know, I have a property. I can't find a property manager for this property that I bought. I did everything. I spent thousands of dollars and all that sort of stuff. And what turns out is they no longer have an asset anymore. They have a liability because nobody's going to manage it. They are going to try to manage it if it's out of state. It's just, it's bad because the property manager says, hey, I'm not going to manage that property. I'll get shot going there. I'm not going to manage mm -hmm. that. Well, that's a liability. Now, what we do is we build the business. And remember, I did it wrong. And now I realized, because remember, I've always been entrepreneurial, you know, like business mindset. I said, let me approach it from a business mindset because the gurus tell you, you buy one property that property is your business. And I realized, no, 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 no. My property is not my business. My business owns properties. My business owns inventory. Let me quickly give you what that example looks like. So if you're going to start a convenience store, you know, it can be sort of candy bars, soda machines, all that good stuff. 
Well, you're not going to sign a lease on a location, open the doors, and set a box of candy bars in there on the ground. No, you won't do that. You go out of business in like two seconds if you do that. What you would do, though, is you'd build the business first. You get the gondolas. Those are the shelving units that all the candy bars go on, the countertops, the cold storage, bank accounts, cash registers, employees, insurance, everything in the business before you buy any inventory. Then once that business is built, then you buy the inventory you put in the business. Same thing with real estate investing. We build the entire business, make sure that it can run on its own before we buy any inventory. Once our business is built, we buy a piece of property that's now a piece of inventory that we put into our business. Now with that, that's how I was able to scale my, I guess, business so fast, or I was able to quit my job so fast because I didn't count one property as one business and the next property as another business. I said, my business owns inventory. And that's how I scaled the business so fast is because I already had the systems, the processes, the procedures already in place that all I need to do was just acquire another piece of inventory and then put that into my business. So what I'll quickly go through what that looks like. So we first start with a city anywhere in the country. In fact, my students and I, we invest all over the country, out of state. We love investing out of state. Midwest is great right now down the Carolinas and the Florida, really, really great areas. Even now, even right now, still great places to buy properties. We make sure we find a city that has good inventory. Then what we look for, we don't go right to realtors, which I get a lot of students say, hey, Dustin, I found a new city. I already have like five realtors sending me properties. I'm like, whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. We don't want to do that. Realtors finding properties is the last step. The next step, once you find inventory, we need to find who's going to manage the property. Just like if you bought or you, know, you created a convenience store, you're not going to grab a guy off the street and say, hey, you got a pulse. Come in and manage my inventory, manage my money, manage my employees, manage my business and hope to have a business. No, you wouldn't do that. You'd interview. So the first thing, inventory. Second thing, who's going to manage your property? Find the property manager, and then you interview. I'll give you a quick tip on, or coaching point. We want to do multiple interviews of multiple property managers. And texting is not interviewing. Emailing is not interviewing. Phone calls. And I will say, you probably won't get many people or property managers jumping on Zoom. They just don't have the time to do that. Phone calls are by far the best way. You'll be able to screen them out. You'll see if they are trustworthy, if they come across to you as trustworthy. Do they actually call you back? If they don't call you back when they don't have your money, they might not call you back when they do have your money. Another thing there. And also, do they have the experience? Do they make it sound like they know what they're talking about? So we have inventory, then property managers. Then we find mortgage brokers. We need to be able to buy the properties. If we can't buy it, then we don't get, you know, buy in that state. Then, you know, it could be prop, uh, private money, could be hard money. It could be commercial loan, bundle loans. There, there's lots of different ways to get financing. I actually, I think I've done like 14 or 15 different ways of financing for all of my properties. I love it because there's so many different ways to do it. Once we do that, then we find insurance agents, we find inspectors, we find contractors, handymen, plumbers, roofers. We find everybody in the business so that when we do buy the inventory, it's plug and play. And then when we're running our business, meaning if we have a call, like our property manager calls us up and says, hey, I have this problem. We already know how to handle it because we've already been proactive. We already have all things that we know we need before we actually run into these problems. So that's what building the business first and then buying inventory and putting that inventory into our business. Yeah, I love the fact that you led with property managers too. So I'm going to ask you why property managers? Because that tends to be a topic where people are very divisive on whether they should have a property manager or not property manager. I have my own opinion, but I would love to hear why do you start with a property manager? So I always want to be able to have passive income where I don't work. I don't want to work and I want to pay other people to work. 
Now, I will say I have properties that I manage myself. And the reason why I know the property so well, tenants have been there for years, they're doing great. And I manage myself because I literally don't do anything, which is great because it's such a good property or there's just not that much work. They take care of the property, all that good stuff. And it doesn't take that much time you're going to do it. But I also want to be able to offload a property to a property manager if I just don't have the time. Like I just don't want to work on it. So I actually have property managers for my properties and I manage them myself. But here's also a question that I get all the time or a statement. Well, Dustin, how do you afford, or I guess it's a question, how do you afford a property manager? And I think, well, it's easy. Like I don't pay my property managers. Like I don't have to get a job to then pay that money to my property manager. No, no, no. What I do is I account for that property manager as an expense before I buy the property. Because if you don't, and then all of a sudden, like, let's say your mom gets ill and you have to take care of, you don't have time to manage that property. Then you're dipping into your passive income. Then you're dipping into maybe into your own pocket to pay for these property managers. So we don't actually pay, you'll get this, Matt. So I don't pay for my taxes. I don't pay my mortgage. I don't pay my insurance. I don't pay my property managers. I don't pay for for repairs. I don't pay for any of that stuff. My tenants pay for 100% of that. And I account for that before I buy a property. And I make sure those expenses are in that business or that, that property before I buy it. And I don't buy it if it's not covered, meaning I don't make sure. So I make sure that the property manager fee is in there, the mortgage, the insurance before. And then I tack on $250. I make sure that I could rent it for $250 more than my expenses because I'll finish by saying this. I realized I wanted to quit my job. And I asked my wife, how much is, what's, what's our expenses? Like how much money do we need to bring in to be able to cover our expenses? And I remember the number, it was specific, $4,200. Mortgage, insurance, and all that sort of stuff, you know, food. And I said, okay, $4,200. If I bought one property that maybe $250 a month, that's $3,000 a year as in passive income. I said, that's fantastic. But if I just scale it up from there, 10 properties at $250 a month, that's $2,500 a month in passive income, $30,000 a year without working. 20 properties is $5,000 a month, $60,000 a year without working. I just realized I had to scale my business up. So that's what I do is I make sure that all those expenses, property managers included, are accounted for, and I make sure that I can rent it for $250 more than my expenses. Yeah, I think you answered the property management question very well in the sense of when I looked at single families, I never bought without a property manager. I did one time just because it was brand new build. It was right around the corner. And once I put it in the tenant, I heard from them once in three years. And that was, can I paint the walls a different color? And so the reason why I think you should include a property manager is because personally for me, it's not the highest and best use of my time. Now, if you want to go run a property management business long term, maybe you should learn how to do that. However, I want the ability to be able to walk away and have income coming in. And I'm okay paying the eight to 10%, whatever it is, knowing that someone else is going to take those phone calls if I'm out at the Grand Canyon or wherever that great location is right behind you with your kids there. Yeah, totally. That is the Grand Canyon. That's the Hoshu Bend. It's amazing. Like just being there, it's just so astounding. How amazing. Like Grand Canyon is beautiful, but the Horseshoe Bend itself is just beautiful. But yeah, I 100% agree because let's say that you wanted to manage that property because I have students that say, well, I'm going to account for that expense, but I'll basically be paying myself, which would be great. So instead of me paying that to a property manager, it's actually coming to me. I'm like, that's great. Go ahead and do that. But you also have it accounted for so that you yep. do not lose money if you have to hire a property manager. Yep. Yep. So I'm going to try to change, throw you a curveball here. We're going through some 
weird times right now. Interest rates, housing market, mortgage loans are down 20% here at the end of July in 2022, even though this won't be released until later. What are the markets that you're telling your students not to go to right now? Are there any locations where you're saying, hey, I would not invest in that location? Hmm. So not to. So I could easily say where to, but where not to. I would say, I'm going to, I wouldn't say give a cop out, but I'm going to not give a specific state because there's so many. Like I could, the coastlines, both coastlines are just so expensive. Now there are ways to make money, which there are more advanced strategies of maybe co-op where you have, you rent out per room, which you can make money if you do that's a little more work. But if I'm going to say where not to invest, it's where you are not going to make $250 or more in passive income. Give you an example. All you do is you add up all your expenses, mortgage, insurance, taxes, you know, repairs, vacancy factor, you add all that up. And if you cannot rent it, and your property manager will be the expert to tell you, this is what I love about property managers and building a business first, I hire experts. Like Zillow is not an expert, Trulia, Redfin, those guys are not experts. Who are the experts? It's the people there on the ground. So yeah. your property manager is going to say, well, you could rent it for $1,300. Well, great. If my expenses are $1,100, I'm like, that's close. It's $200 off or it's $200 of passive income. I need a minimum of $250. And so I try to negotiate the price down a little bit so that I could get more passive income because it's less mortgage or whatever it might be. But what it really comes down to for me and my students, as long as we're making $250 or more in passive income, then it's a good place to invest. But I will also tie in one last thing that I just came up or not came up, that I remembered. Inventory. You don't want to buy a, a house, a property in a city that you cannot find inventory. Let's say you find a, one city and the inventory is just one property there and you build the entire business. You got this whole infrastructure of this business, but you only have one property and you can't scale from there. It's like all that work for one property. Now it could be good. Don't get me wrong. I just prefer an area where there's a lot of inventory where I could just keep buying the next piece of inventory and put it into my business. Yeah, yeah. I love that you mentioned about Zillow not being an expert here. One of the things that I see is like Open Door, Redfin, Zillow have all tried this iBuying service. The problem with this is that even though they are Silicon Valley data nerds with software engineers paid out the wazoo, they can't figure out how hyper-localized real estate really is in the single family or residential space. And so I've heard some people talk about this on podcasts where they're like, Zillow can see a three by two in this zip code, but what they can't see is the fact that there's granite countertops versus quartz versus it has this extra room what could be used for a dog room and all those sorts of things. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that feet on the street still matter, even as advanced as software is today. Well, totally. And I invest in, I want to say at least five or six different cities, now six different cities. And I'll have students that I'm coaching, they know which cities I invest in and say, hey, Dustin, you're the expert. Tell me about this, this area. Like, is this a good property? I said, no, no, no. Just because I invested doesn't mean the expert. I'm the expert. I don't want to be the expert. I want to hire the experts. So they're the ones. Now, I know my business. I know the market. I know that. But at the same time, I don't want them to rely on me. I want to teach them how to fish. I don't want to just give them a fish. So what I do is I show them how to find the experts and then how to take all the experts' information. Like, I'll give you a quick example. You know, one person, that's one opinion. A quick example would be, let's say you have a repair that needs to get done. Let's say the furnace is acting up and need to get repaired. Well, you have one person go out and they say, you get a quote. Okay, you just need to trash it. It's bad. Take it out and replace it. And it's going to be like $5,000. We'll do it for $5,000. Well, that's one person's eyeballs. You need other people, other experts, and 
basically utilize them against, not necessarily against each other, but take more information. We want more wisdom from other people. So you get two other people out there. So you get three quotes in total. That's three different sets of eyeballs, three different quotes, not necessarily about the lowest price, but what if the second guy or the third guy, somebody else says, oh, no, you don't got to replace this entire thing. There's this one switch. It's right here. It's faulty. Let me replace that. It's going to be 80 bucks. Like, great. That's going to save me a ton of money because I've used experts and multiple experts. So I get a lot of information so I can make the best decision. Dustin, what are the six cities you invest in? So uh, let's see, Youngstown, which in Ohio, Youngstown, Ohio, I would definitely say do uh, say do not. Uh, that's where I got started, where I didn't know what I was doing. It's a really economically depressed area. I don't suggest my students go there. That's not necessarily the best, but you absolutely can. I still get good rents there. Akron, Ohio, another one. Cleveland, Ohio, Maple Heights, and uh, let's see, Houston, Texas, and Phoenix, Arizona. Is that sick? Yes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Go check those out. I have uh, some opinions about Northeast Ohio that I'll keep to myself on this phone. But yeah, it's a difficult real estate market is what I would say. I would agree with that. You have to know what you're doing, or at least you have to be prepared. Yeah. There's a reason why the returns look so great on paper. Uh, Lots of reasons. (laughs) I get it. I'm with you. I I invest there. (laughs) Yeah. I want to switch us now to our last round. We're calling this the five toppings. Our first one is, what is your favorite book or what is a book you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift? Oh, okay. So I have to say that my favorite book by far is the Bible. I read the Bible multiple times a day. But outside of that, if you're going to go to business or like life, I would have to say if I were to pick one book, man, there's three that come to mind. But one is probably one of the best ones is How to Win Friends and Influence People by I think it's is it Dale Carnegie. Yep. Dale yeah. Carnegie. Yeah. The other quick two, Rich Dad, Poor Dad really changed yep, my mind classic. on passive income. And then Richest Man in Babylon by George S. Clausen. Love that book. Fictional book teaches awesome financial principles, just amazing. Those three books are terrific. Yep. Well, all four of them are classics for a reason. All so four. we'll just say <laughs> there that. There you go. <laughs> Our second one is, I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the habits that you have and the routines that you have every single day. What are some of the things that you do every single day? Ooh. So I def- obviously, like I said, I read the Bible every day. I go to the gym every day, play with my kids, hug my wife every single day. But uh, to business-wise, I'm constantly moving forward. In fact, I create goals. I'm not a midterm type of, I'm a big goal type of person. So like when I was 27, I said, I want to quit my job in 10 years, 37 years old. I'm going to quit my job if I have the ability to or not. It's just like I'm burning the bridges as I go. And so I got that. My next goal now, and I'll quickly give you, so I had one other goal and this is answered your question. One other goal that I had was after I quit my job, I was like, I'm floundering. I need something. I I just don't need money. I need to have something to shoot for. And so I created a new goal, which is to make a million dollars in my businesses and profit from all of them. And I kid you not, Matt, I got so bored of that. In fact, like a year and a half later, I was like, this is almost a deterrent. I don't need the money. It'd be great to have it, but I don't need it. So now fast forward, my new goal, this is what gets me moving forward is having that goal of serving more people. The more people I found, The more people that I serve in my life, whether it's having a great poppy for them to rent at a decent rental rate, getting on podcasts, just showing people for free how to do all this stuff, investing stuff, to having, I have a conference, real estate investor conference. I just give as much content as we can. But the more people that I serve, the better my life gets and the better other people's lives get. So now my constant goal is to serve as many people every single day. And so whether it's jumping on a podcast, creating a YouTube video for Master Passive Income or teaching students, whatever it might be, it's trying to serve as many people. Beautiful, love it. Our third one is, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Well, I would have to say, because I would have to get two. One is passive income because where I was taught, like until I was like 20 years old, until I read Rich That Poor Dad, 
I was taught like it's active income. That's all you get. That's all you do. And you're going to be relegated to working your entire life for somebody else. And the best pieces of advice was stop working for active income and start working for passive income. Or like you said, residual income, like you work one time, get paid over and over again. That's absolutely by far for me, the number one piece of advice. I would say the second piece of advice is to it's being persistent and consistent in moving forward. Like, don't be stagnant. Actually, I love this quote. So it's from a movie. It's called Tommy Boy. Tommy Boy is a fun movie. I love it. Well, Big big Dad Callahan or Big Callahan, the, the dad, said at the, one of the very beginning part of the movies, he said, in this business, auto parts business, which I believe in any business and in life, you're either growing or you're dying. There's no third direction. I'm like, wow, that's literally, I want to constantly be moving forward. So couple all that together. That's, I guess, what moves me forward in my life. I really thought you were going to say fat guy in a little coat. And if you don't understand that quote, then clearly we are too old to be on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Our fourth one is, what's the thing that you're most proud of in your life? Oh, be more sappy. My wife and my kids, just, I'm so blessed to have an amazing wife, like literally an amazing wife. I'm so very, very blessed. And then my kids, that's terrific. But if you go outside of that, honestly, it's how many people go back to service, Like I realized, I didn't know this at the time, but as I was creating businesses, buying real estate, I was able to now start serving people. And I can't remember who said this, but they said, whatever you want in life, you can get it. You just got to figure out how many people you can serve in order to eventually you get that, which I 100% agree. In fact, it's also not about getting something. I found, and the Bible teaches that it's better to give than receive. It's better to serve. It says that Christ came not to serve, but to be a servant, to serve. He didn't come to actually be waited on. And so I realized that if I apply that to my life and I started changing my life by just becoming more service oriented, man, I make more money. I help more people and I feel better because when my students buy their first property, it's like, oh my God, it feels like I bought my first property. And when they quit their job, it feels like I quit my job all over again. It's so amazing to have that ability to be there. Yeah, I'm going to butcher the quote, but it's like if the wealthiest people in the world solve the most difficult problems and serve the most people, essentially. A hundred percent. Our fifth and last one is if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh, by far, it would be obviously Jesus because I obviously read the Bible, but that would be number one. But let's think of in in the world. Honestly, I've been really inspired, not business wise, but really looking at George Washington. And the reason why I picked George Washington is because he literally could have been the king of America. Back then, they loved kings, or not love, but they had kings, and they were used to kings. They didn't know about democracy and all that sort of stuff. And so when George Washington became president, they actually wanted to make him king. In fact, they also, the people around him, wanted to call him your highness and your majesty. And he said, no, 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 just call me Mr. President. And then he literally gave up everything to go and farm. And I remember, I want to say it was the, probably the, like, Somebody in France, like a king of France or something like that, said that is the most powerful office he just gave up. He is the most incredible man ever. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, George Washington would be amazing because he kept getting shoved back into it and kept saying, no, I want to just I want to go back to my farm. I don't want to be king. Yeah. Shockingly, an answer that's given quite frequently on the show. What? Yeah. No idea. That's crazy. Yeah, because the turmoil times and then also like I think you're right, giving it up because that was an unknown concept at the time. Absolutely. Well, Dustin, fantastic conversation. If our listeners wanted to get in touch or learn more about you, where's the best place we could point them? Yeah, actually, I have a real estate investing course. I just love to give away for free. Do you mind if I share that with everybody? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. 
So yeah, if you want a real estate investing course, I'll give it to you for you for free. I just want to see you learn how to invest. Text the word rental, R-E-N-T-A-L, rental to 33777. Rental to 33777. I'll literally give you my real estate investing course, show you how to find an area of the country to invest, anywhere in the country, how to build the business first, how to buy the raw properties that make you scale your business to be able to quit your job. You could even go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash free course. All one word forward slash free course. I'll literally give it to you. Plus I have my podcast, the Master Passive Income Podcast. I rarely do interviews. It's literally just me teaching how, you know, giving away all the stuff, how to do investing. My YouTube channel, I love doing the same thing, just giving out so much free content as well. Also, oh, in general, I like Instagram. And so uh, it's the Dustin Heiner. That's the handle. I'm not that arrogant. It's (laughs) T-H-E, Dustin Heiner. It's just the only one I could find. So the Dustin Heiner, you can follow me on there. I usually respond to people who say, hey, I heard you on Matt's podcast or somebody like that. And I usually respond, hey, thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Hope you have great success in your investing. So yeah, you can reach out to me there. Perfect. We will leave those in the show notes. And then Dustin, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.